The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 13, and this is your Eagles-Vikings preview for this Sunday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field. I'm John Stolness from Bleeding Green Nation. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness, and we have got... Oh man, this is a big game. This is a big it's a game we had circled on the calendar when they first came out. It's revenge time for the Vikings. NFC Championship game rematch in here. To break it all down for you with me is the brains behind the operation at bleedinggreennation.com. The man, the myth, the legend, Brandon Lee Gowton, BLG. Vikings Eagles is finally here, man. We we've been waiting for this one, buddy. John, it's a big game. Before we get started tonight, I have to apologize to you, to the people, to Eagles fans everywhere for being the the biggest reason the Eagles lost to the Titans last week. Now, you're the biggest reason they lost. I, I know, I know that's surprising, but look, when we were talking last week and we were doing the Eagles Titans preview show, I said I had this good feeling. I said you did every you time. Did say that I had the feeling, and I said, look, I'm going to tweet it out. And every time I have tweeted that out, the Eagles won. So I didn't tweet it out for whatever reason. I don't know why I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and then they lost. So it's well. So it's either it's one of two things. It's either great I didn't do that because now I still have that power going and I didn't mess it up. I don't want to be wrong on that once I do it. On the other hand, maybe just maybe I had the power to change it. And I'm sorry that I caused the Eagles to lose. You have you wheeled immense power blg and you know that you do and to forget something as important as that knowing the power you possess unforgivable unforgivable big mistake by me bigger than Corey graham really (laughs) (laughs) well let's not get crazy here you could have been able to catch brandon's tweet if he had in fact tweeted it out by following him on twitter at brandon gouten and we are going to get into this eagles vikings game because it is a monster game for both teams. First, just want to remind you guys uh, to, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Uh, we are, of course, looking for those ratings and those reviews, those five-star ratings. That's all you can do, gang. Five-star rate. They've, they've shut down all the other ratings for at Apple Podcasts. Can only do the five stars. I apologize if you wanted to do something else. We're just going to have to go with the five stars. But please, the ratings and the reviews, uh, they do help. They go a long way and uh, would be most appreciated by us. So, all right, let's talk about Eagles-Vikings. Uh, the Vikings come into this game at 1-2-1 one, and one on the season. They won opening week, uh, then uh, tied the Packers in week two and have lost their last two games. The Eagles, of course, come in at 2-2. Two and two. And this BLG is a rematch of the NFC Championship game in which the Eagles spanked the Vikings. What was the score, Brandon? Uh, I think it was 38-7. to seven. That's what it was. Hard to believe it didn't slip my mind at all, anybody. And I thought about, let's just go over this NFC Championship game really quickly, play-by-play, play, every single play of the game. <laughs> I thought that would just be fun, but 
Um, it may not be the best expenditure of time, but uh, it was. This obviously is a game the Vikings have also had circled on their schedule. Uh, they want payback for the way the Eagles pulled their pants down and spanked them like little children last year. Uh, in a game that shocked me last year, Brandon. I mean, I, I felt good about the NFC Championship game. I felt good about the matchup. But none of us expected the Eagles to walk all over a Vikings team that at the time had the best defense in the National Football League. It was just before we move on to the game this week, just reminiscing about the NFC title game just makes me makes me feel good. Yeah, I remember where I was going into that game, you know, hanging out in the parking lot, uh, just seeing everyone. The energy was great. And I think a lot of people, for the most part, were were feeling a little loose, not quite as loose as the Eagles were heading into that game. But just I think most people were feeling not bad. You know, ever since the Eagles beat the Falcons, I think that's when the energy changed. I think going into the Falcons game, there was like, all right, are we really even going to win a playoff game even with Nick Foles not looking great at the end of the season here? And all of a sudden, they beat the Falcons, and it's like, okay, this feels a little bit different. This feels good. I mean, the Vikings are coming in. That's still going to be tough. But then... Uh, the Eagles game obviously happened before we saw the Minnesota miracle, which is such a silly thing now in, in <laughs> hindsight, just to call it that even because it yeah. was so short lived. They they get that play. It's great in the moment. It's a fun moment in that moment. But, you know, they just go to Philly the next week and yeah. they just get dominated. Like they, it, was well, they, and, it was fourth they and the 26. One, it was their version was, of fourth and 26. Yeah. Yes. They had the one touchdown drive early in the game. And it's like, oh, man. This, this might not be great because they just marched down the field with ease. I think it was Najee Good in coverage, yeah. uh, getting beat by Kyle Rudolph. That's and I was right. like, oh, man, this might not be great. Then all of a sudden, Patrick Robinson's interception, pick six, just totally turns that thing around, and they never looked back from there. It was awesome. That was one of the, one of the most awesome environments there to, mm-hmm. to be at Lincoln Financial Field. And you have the Eagles fans doing the Foles chant instead <laughs> of the Skull chant. Like, that was the greatest thing about all of that is not only did the Eagles just beat the Vikings, like Eagles just, they stole the Vikings chant. Like they totally just like, it was bigger than a defeat. It was just like the ultimate defeat you could hand to another team. It was awesome. Yeah. I've been to two Eagles NFC championship games, Brandon. I went to the one at the vet against the Buccaneers in the last game ever at the vet. I was at the Rondé Barber game and I remember just how soul crushing that was. I remember how pin drop quiet it was at the vet, both, when it was happening and walking out, just how no one was even talking to each other. And I remember, and I was at the the NFC Championship game after the 2004 season when they finally beat the Falcons and they finally got to the Super Bowl. And it just felt like such, it felt like just grinding through that game, even though it ended up being a pretty comfortable win for the Eagles that day, just because you felt the sense of dread. They can't lose a fourth in a row. They can't. And this NFC Championship game was a party. No, no Eagles. Eagles fans have never experienced anything like that in that game before. Just the the complete party, a, a game that, of that magnitude to be to be that much of a laugher was just was such a departure from past Eagles history. I, I think that's part of the reason why Eagles fans felt so confident heading into the Super Bowl. For sure, once they won that game, at the end of that game, like I knew they were going to win the Super Bowl. I had no worries. I was like, the Patriots, we're going to beat them. Like we're going to win the Super Bowl now. Like, I, <laughs> there's no way we have this kind of game and don't win the Super Bowl. I just, I'm so confident. It was so awesome, and just the whole attitude too. Obviously, going into that week with Vikings fans saying that, oh, don't go to Philly. You know, they there's gangs oh, yeah. there, and like just stupid stuff. And then they come out. And they, we see that video of the Vikings fans trying to do the skull chant on the Rocky <laughs> steps. Like it was just so dumb. Like that that looked ended up looking so dumb for them. And then yeah. even afterwards, I, the you know complaining about how they were mistreated. And obviously, the people who had beer thrown at them and things like that. I'm not condoning yeah, that, but that's not but cool. that was not the majority. We know that was not the majority. Uh, and just to to then have to. Watch that team that just killed you in the in the NFC Championship game win the Super Bowl in your own building yeah. is just really bad. There's no coming back from that. I was talking to uh, Christopher Gates from Daily Norseman, who is the which is the Vikings SB Nation NFL site, and you know, there's I was asking them, you know, if the Vikings win this week, is there any kind of does that make the the, the championship mm-hmm. game and the Super Bowl? Does that feel any kind of less worse? And he was like, "No, no, that pain is there forever." Of course not. 
No, and, and Vikings fans are still crispy about it, man. They are bitter. Uh, they, they, you know, I think the Vikings Twitter feed said something like there's never an excuse to wear green in relation to another tweet. It's like, come on, guys. I mean, <laughs> listen, I get it. You know, I've Eagles fans have been through their share of heartbreakers, too. But uh, it's it's starting to get a little bit ridiculous. But they are coming in here wanting some revenge uh, at one, two and one. Uh, they come into the game number 25 in total DVOA, 19th in offensive DVOA, 25th in defensive DVOA. Vikings have had a tough season here at the, at the start of the season through the quarter mark. The Eagles have struggled as well uh, in some in some cases. They're 17th in total DVOA, 17th in offense, 8th in defense. And, you know, I we, the word must win gets thrown around quite a bit, especially in the NFL. And you don't like to say anything is a must win game early in the season, but Really, you're looking at two teams who, if they lose this game, Brandon, could be looking could be at a crossroads in this season. No one's season is done if the Vikings fall to one, three, and one, or the Eagles fall to two, to two and three. But you know, is is there a case to be made that this is a must-win game either for the Vikings or the Eagles this Sunday? I think it is for both teams, kind of. I mean, obviously, not must win in the sense of, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're eliminated mathematically. Of course not. It's that's not how it works. But right. just the where for where these teams are, I think they're at a crossroads right now. I think you you're at two and two if you're the Eagles and you're looking at yourselves. And Carson Wentz is even saying like, we don't know who we are yet fully. We don't have that a hundred percent established identity. And right now, they're just a two and two team. So we know they're inconsistent, but can they rise above that? And I feel like for this T- Eagles team that has been so good at home, 17-2 and two in their last 19 meaningful home games, you know, excluding that Dallas loss, and they should win this game when I look at that. like They are the favorites for a reason in this matchup. I know there's issues, and we'll get into the matchup more here, but I just I feel like they should win this game. This is a really big game. They need yeah. to win this game to – to just kind of make everyone, I think, feel good about the outlook of the season and to make this team, everyone feel like, okay, this team has what it takes to maybe do something. I mean, we don't know for sure they're going to win the Super Bowl just because they win this game, but just to to know that it's going to be, okay, this is not a disaster year. I think if they lose this game, you're starting to just think more and more like, oh, man, this is going to be 2005 all over again. You know, like the Eagles go to yeah. the Super Bowl. They don't win, and there's just this cloud over this team, and they just can't they can't get past it. I think if they win this week, that goes a long way in telling what this season holds. And I think for the Vikings, I mean, they should be one and three right now. We talked oh, about yeah. this last week, but the fact that they won in that Packers game or <laughs> tied in that Packers game <laughs> is silly. Like they should have lost. They deserve to lose that game. They should have lost that game, and. You look at this Vikings defense. You mentioned it just there, John, in DVOA. Like that's crazy how far they've fallen. They've yeah. allowed 29.6 points in their last 5 games. That's dating back wow. to the NFC Championship game. 29.6. That's almost 30 points per game. This was that's supposed crazy. This was the top defense in the league last year in some respects. They were historically good on third down defense, which is due for regression and maybe we're seeing some of that but even more than that we're just seeing a a unit that was one of the best in the league last year and now they're just looking vulnerable yeah no they totally are It, it, it definitely is not the same team that played most of the season and you wonder if the Eagles kind of gave the rest of the league a blueprint on how to attack this defense and in what they did last year because they really made it look easy in the NFC Championship game, and the, the Vikings' defense has, has not recovered. Now, they do come into this game with some extra time to prepare. Their last game was uh, two Thursday nights ago in that 38-31 to loss to the Los Angeles Rams, and they, you know, that was a good game. They played the best team in the NFL very close. They had a chance to win it on the final drive and uh, and Kurt Cousins as uh, <laughs> Doug Peterson called him accidentally I'm assuming this week um, had a chance to to lead his team down the field against a, a Rams defense that was giving up a lot of yards and a lot of points that night Cousins had a good game up until that point but you know as we've seen from Cousins in the past and I, I'm a Cousins guy I think he's better than most people give Ooh. him credit for I know <laughs> I know but I I just you, you look at what he can do, and he had a, He was not the reason they lost that game by any stretch of the imagination, but he also did not do enough at the end of the game to win the game for his team, and that's always been the knock on him. For sure. I think you look at... 
he's Romo. I said it last week. He, he is he's Romo. Tony Romo. He <laughs> he posts good numbers, and he's not. He's obviously good enough to start in the league, and he's not a flat out bad quarterback. But he comes up small in big moments, and he comes up small in games against good teams. You look at his record against you know good teams, and it's not good. You can wave off quarterback wins, and I, I get it. You know, some of that is. He could be playing well and the defense does bad, so it reflects poorly on him ultimately in that win-loss column. But I just feel like anecdotally, that's something that I I, I didn't come across that number because uh, I, I stumbled across it. Like I saw that number because I, I just felt like, hmm, he never seems to beat good teams or come up big in big moments. Yeah. I feel like there's something to that. And I think the numbers say, say that so far. And I think it's ridiculous, too, that he is – you know, getting paid this eighty-four million dollar fully oh, guaranteed contract, like that's <laughs> that that's what part of it makes it so ridiculous to me because I know that's what the market dictates ultimately. But you're telling me this is the guy who gets the like historical quarterback contract, like this guy? You can't. Yeah. So that's just kind of my issue there. He's obviously torched the Eagles in the past. I believe fifteen touchdowns, six interceptions, ninety-nine point seven passer rating. Uh, a lot of that was in Washington, of course. Well, all of it was in yep. Washington, of course, until yep. this point. Yep. Uh, and we're talking about the Eagles having this great home record, 17-2 in two in those 19 games that mattered. Guess what? I mean, Kirk Cousins was quarterbacking Washington for one of those two losses there. So yep. uh, that's definitely something, you know, looking into this week where I am – I'm not going to say I'm scared of him, but I, I could easily see him having a good game because that's what he does against this team. I we look at this Eagles secondary. They're struggling. The Vikings have really good wide receivers, arguably the top duo in the NFL with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Kirk or Kurt, as Doug said, which is just <laughs> great, by the way, just the I have a lot of respect for <laughs> Kurt Cousins. This is what he said. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can tell, Doug, you clearly have a lot of respect. You're getting his name wrong. But um yeah, it's it's a, it's just a big game. Like any any kind of way we frame this, you talk about the matchups. Like it's just the magnitude of this game to me, at least. Uh, that's what I come back to when when we're talking about this year. I just that's why I think it is this this kind of must win this big game. I just think it's huge. Yeah, and I don't buy into the revenge game thing because the Falcons came in on the uh, the the opening week of the season in a revenge game, and they still lost exactly the same way they had lost in the playoffs the season before. So yeah, the Vikings will be up for this game, but it being in Philadelphia will hopefully mitigate uh, any revenge factor that might be going on uh, with the Vikings. Because at the end of the day, once you get, once you get started playing, really that motivation goes out the window. Now you just, you got to go out on the field and you got to execute. And so that's what uh, the Eagles have to do that. And so do the Vikings. And uh, it's, it's not going to be easy in some regards because we're looking at the injury report and, um, you know, they're, they're, the Eagles could be missing some guys here on Sunday. Um, and I first want to start looking at the running back position here as far as injuries are concerned because uh, we've heard a lot of rumors regarding Pittsburgh running back Le'Veon Bell and potential trade rumors. Uh, I think Jason LaConforna is, uh, is hot on this. He's been mentioning it a, a couple of different times here over the last couple of weeks that uh, the Eagles are seriously considering dealing for Le'Veon Bell. And on the surface, it makes some sense because you've got in Jay Ajayi, a guy who can play and will play this week, it looks like. But, you know, he's got a broken back. How much can you rely on that? He's already kind of been in and out of the lineup. Uh, doesn't look like Corey Clement is going to is gonna play this weekend. He did not suit up for practice on Thursday. Darren Sproles uh, looks like he's going to be out again. And you know, he just he appears to be just too old to even stay on the field at this point. You know, your body gets to a certain age. It's hard to keep it healthy and recover from injury. So, you know, you're looking at another week of Wendell Smallwood as the number two. All of a sudden, bringing Le'Veon Bell in here makes a little bit more sense, BLG, especially because Earl Thomas is hurt and you can't expend trade capital and salary cap room on bringing a good safety in here. And with Alshon Jeffrey back at wide receiver, trading for a receiver doesn't make as much sense now. How much weight do you give the Le'Veon Bell trade rumors? Is this a real thing? Is this something that could happen? And what are the obstacles in place that would prevent it from happening right now? Yeah, well, it's interesting that Lock and Fora keeps putting it out there because, as we know, Lock and Fora has a relationship with Howie Roseman. And that makes me think, one of two things. Okay, f first, there is some truth to it because he's talking to Howie and he knows. Second is that 
it could be false because <laughs> Howie just might want yeah. it out there. I don't know what the benefit of that would be. Uh, but it's interesting because it keeps getting pushed. I think there is some sense to it in that, as you said, you're missing Corey Clement here. Darren Sproles, we don't know how serious that injury is. He got hurt leading up to the, the week two game, and he still hasn't been able to practice since then. And for as much as we think of Le'Veon Bell as a running back, I mean, he can contribute in the passing game too, and he can, oh, yeah. and he can contribute as a pass blocker. And that's not – that's not insignificant when you watch how uh, Carson Wentz is getting destroyed because Wendell Smallwood has no idea what he's doing back there in pass protection. So, uh, and and we, we obviously seen Howie Roseman be very aggressive before, so I can't rule it out. It's just that there's a lot of obstacles to it in the terms of they need to clear up cap space. uh, And then it becomes of how much do you want to give up for a guy who is very likely a rental for this team, uh, you have to factor in that, uh, you know, the Steelers, like Le'Veon Bell still needs to sign his tender. Like they can't even sign him. I mean, they can't even trade for him until he signs his franchise tag mm. tender. So there's just like a lot of moving parts to this. It's not as simple as something where, you know, the guy is just under contract. You give the offer and you get him. It's not it's not simple. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And I think that's kind of what makes me feel like you can't just say it's super likely because there's a lot of things that have to to go. And one of those things, and another interesting part to all of this, is that Akinfora keeps mentioning the possibility of a Nick Foles trade. Now, I don't know who the heck is going to trade for Nick Foles right yeah, now. Where's he going? Because <laughs> the 49ers seem to, to not want him. Uh, Adam Schefter reported that on Sunday. It's interesting to me that he said – it seems like they're the league almost hopes the, the 49ers trade for Nick Foles because they still have some primetime games. But C.J. Beathard looked good in that loss against the Chargers. I mean, at least good enough to keep the game competitive. So I don't think that's happening. Maybe there's an under, another injury that pops up. You never know. But I just don't see it. I don't see where the market is for Foles. And that's really a shame because as I wrote in one of my takeaways from this loss to the Titans, it really bothers me that Nick Foles, I mean, look, I'm thankful for everything that Nick Foles did. I have to feel like I have to qualify this with that. I'm, I'm, not, dis- <laughs> yeah, right? I'm not disrespecting what he did in the past. But if we're talking about just the context of this season and trying to win again, he's not helping the team win, in my opinion, right now. Because for as, as good as it is to have a quality backup, I don't think he is that much better than Nate Sudfeld, where he justifies a 13.6 million cap number, which is second on the team, only second to Fletcher Cox. And it's not just about the cap space that you're t- he's taking up on the bench and not even playing. It's the, the draft capital that was opportunity cost that you missed out on. We heard that the Eagles could have had the number pick number 35 overall, which, by the way, Harold Landry, who forced a uh, strip sack no, across the Wentz, he was on the good. board at 35. So uh, I just think there's kind of missed opportunity there. I think people kind of underrate how – you need to do everything you can to win in the NFL. You need to, if you have a towel, you need to like wring it out as, and get every single drop. And even then, if you do that, you still might not win because that's how hard it is to win in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The, the point here is I just feel like Howie hasn't maximized value and maybe, hey, he, he finds a way to ship out Foles somewhere and you get Le'Veon Bell in here and that would be awesome. But in the meantime, it's just kind of frustrating because it's it's not even just it's not even just false, guys. It's not even just false. It's Chance Warmack too. He is making he has a two million cap hit and he's a healthy scratch on game day every week. That's so between Foles and Chance Warmack, that's fifteen point six million just going unused on game day. That's eight point eight percent of your total cap just not even being used. Like they're they're I feel like the the use of resources here hasn't been great. So I'm interested to see if how we can find some kind of deal where these ships out falls. Maybe you get Le'Veon Bell. The the thing to consider there is if you're trading a draft pick for him, and it sounds like it would have to be either a second or a third. I feel like the longer you wait, it would almost have to be a third because his value is going to yeah. go down because then you have him for less game or fewer games right. the rest of the season. Right. And a third to me, I mean, I think I do that, right, John? Because oh, yeah, absolutely. You're getting a 2020 compensatory pick if he signs elsewhere in free agency after this year, anyway. So, it's a, a no lose situation. Yeah, I think I think it does make a sense to. I think it makes sense for the Eagles to, to take the risk. I just don't know how easy it'll be to navigate all of that. 
Yeah, and your Foles take is is well argued, and I obviously he's he's flood insurance. You know what I mean? And coming into the season, he was he was insurance that if Carson Wentz suffered a setback, which you didn't know at the draft time, you didn't know if Carson Wentz was going to suffer a setback once he got on the field and started doing eleven on elevens. And I think at that time also, you didn't know if if Nate Sudfeld could be a reasonable backup for three, four, or five weeks or something like that. So you kind of had to keep Foles in order to mitigate against the possibility of Carson Wentz not coming back as soon as he did, and then also not being healthy or, or suffering some kind of uh, some kind of injury. You, you, I can understand wanting to keep Foles around, but unfortunately now it's basically like having flood insurance when you live in Arizona. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're, you're never going to use it, and you're paying a lot of money for it, and so... It at the time it looked like it looked like a smart a smart investment to keep him around because I certainly didn't have any confidence in Nate Sudfeld as a backup for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations with uncertainty with Carson Wentz as far as when he was going to come back. Happily, Carson Wentz recovered great from his injury. He's come back and he came back in week three, played fantastic last week, and he looks like he's going to be here for the long haul this year. And Nate Sudfeld in the preseason and all through camp looked like. He is going to be a legitimate backup quarterback in in the National Football League, but at the time, you didn't you didn't really know that, and so I, I don't kill the Eagles for not dealing Foles ahead of the draft. What what you, what they could do here, though, BLG, is if they can't find a Foles taker, they can restructure a contract. They can maybe restructure Jason. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, restructure Fletcher Cox's deal yeah. and maybe get some cap room that way. Yeah, this the only problem with that, you know, is always you're you're kicking the can down the road at that point, and you're you're kind of making sure. yourself in a, a a tighter bind in future years. Which okay. Uh, it might be worth sacrificing that if you can win more this year. I don't discount that. You don't want to just, you know, you, there is some value in the short term for sure. It's just not ideal when you you constantly have to to pull all these contracts back. That's how you become the Cowboys, and that's how you become yeah. uh, still paying Tony Romo even though he's retired and and like <laughs> and uh, Cedric Thornton and Nolan Carroll. The only thing I'll say on the Foles point that you made, John, which and I think that all that stuff is fair, but. I still was arguing for the trade at the time just because I felt like even early on in the recovery, I just felt like the signs were so positive with Wentz. I had optimism about Sudfeld, which maybe was a little irrational, but I just I felt like I'd seen enough from him. Uh, not even uh, he didn't play well, great against the Cowboys in week 17, but I saw NFL skills there. Like I saw potential there and I just feel like more than putting all of that aside, I just think the likeliness of you needing Foles again and him being as great as he was last year. I just think that is so not likely. You, you can't just assume that like was, that was going to be repeated because he did it once. I just think that's to me where, uh, you know, okay, even if you have this quote unquote great insurance policy, I just think it's very unlikely it's going to be as valuable as you think it is the second time around. But yeah. we don't need to get into that anymore. <laughs> well, and, and that proved to be Foles, true. Yeah, it's, it's just frustrating. I just feel like, you know, and again, it's not just with him. I said the Wormack thing. It's it's just the, the theory overall of like not sure. maybe not doing everything they possibly could have to, to maximize resources. And I feel like Howie's usually pretty good at that. But I think maybe the Super Bowl win kind of creates a little bit of a complacency there. You start to think, OK, we don't need to get as creative. I don't know. I hope I hope that he proves me wrong. I hope we see some kind of action here. It'd be great to see. Uh, it, it would be nice to see them, you know, add. I mean, it'd be great. It'd be great to see them add Le'Veon Bell if they can get him at a reasonable cost. The other injury of note that I'm really keeping an eye on is is Derek Barnett, who did not practice on Thursday. And I, I think it's kind of interesting, BLG, that he's played well enough this year where I'm really concerned about him not playing on Sunday. Uh, he's had a couple of a couple of good games in a row. What is the status on on Derek Barnett? Is it is it looking more likely that he won't play on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, if he you're not practicing on Wednesday and Thursday, you're probably not playing. Those are the biggest yeah. practice days. It's weird because I don't think Barnett really left the game early with an injury that we noticed, and no. he played the most defensive end snaps of any Eagles player against the Titans. So kind of weird. I mean, we'll see how he does on Friday. Yeah. Maybe if he's full go on Friday. Uh, I mean that's a, that's a that's a, could be a good sign. Maybe he just needs the rest this week. But to me, players don't practice on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm pretty much assuming they're not going to go. So so that leaves you with Michael Bennett, who I thought looked really good against the Titans, especially early on, and I wouldn't mind him getting more playing time. And Chris Long and Braden Graham 
and Josh Sweat will have to be active for this game, and he could get some playing time for the first time in his career, so we'll see how that goes. And we're going to get into some of the matchups here just a quick second, but also want to mention uh, on the injury list for uh, Minnesota, Dalvin Cook did not practice on Thursday. Their running back has a hamstring issue, um, and uh, the Minnesota running game, as we'll talk about in just a second, has really struggled this year. Having Dalvin Cook out of the lineup will not help that at all. And Everson Griffin, who um, has some personal issues and is also dealing with a knee problem, uh, will be out for this game as well. And, um, you know, it's some weird stuff going on with, with Griffin. We don't have the details, but, um, you know, some some odd behavior um, as uh, a couple of weeks ago was one of the reasons why he didn't travel with the team uh, for last Thursday's game against the Rams. And he will not be in the lineup uh, on Sunday against the Eagles as well. Um, so as we break this down, BLG, uh, let's uh, let's take a look at the Eagles' defense against the Minnesota offense because the talk of the talk of the town was the Eagles' secondary. Obviously, a lot of negative attention because of their implosion late against Tennessee. Eagles had a seventeen to three lead in that game. Uh, they had that fourth and I can't. I still can't bring myself to even remember the fourth and fifteen oh play my gosh. Uh, that Corey Graham gave up. But uh, there were numerous opportunities. The Titans converted three fourth down plays on that overtime drive in order really to keep the it first going. time in NFL history too that happened yeah, <laughs> I know great. I know just absolutely crazy and you know Marcus Mariota was healthier than I thought he was going to be he, he was able to, to grip the ball well and he was throwing it better than I've ever seen him throw it and it's you know I think it's possible that the the we that we underestimated the Titans and and their offense and and the health of Mariota and and maybe that they're a little bit better than we thought but the secondary still has some issues right now. I mean, you've got Corey Graham. Is Corey Graham going to see as much playing time in this game as he did as he did on Sunday? They can't let him be on the field for as much as he was last week. Yeah, right? Jim Schwartz said it's not ideal <laughs> to have Corey Graham yeah, play right. as much as that. And for that to be said, I mean, that's clearly – I mean, that's not Schwartz lying there. That It is rare, it seems like, for him to say something like that. So not a good sign for Corey Graham in that regard. I think we're going to see probably more Avante Maddox as safety, which is really kind of just so bizarre. I mean, that wasn't on anyone's radar going into last week's game. We're talking about, right. okay, do you move Jalen Mills or Rizal Douglas or what? how do you fill this? Or is DeAndre Hall going to play? No, just they just moved <laughs> Avante Maddox, who <laughs> barely played nickel in college, only played a corner on the outside for the most part, and brought him in, drafted him in the fourth round, Try to get him in the nickel competition, so playing a new position. And clearly in spring practices, I thought he looked like he was a player trying to play a new position. He looked lost. I like the athleticism. I like the competitive attitude and all of that. But when I just – I would watch him and he would just get lost in coverage at times. So that wasn't great. He obviously improved enough to be a contender in that nickel corner job with Sidney Jones. So he had a good summer, I felt like. But to just – take him from there and to throw him on the back end and be like, all right, well, you're playing safety now, kid. I mean, that's, that's like a big <laughs> adjustment. Uh, and to just, it's, it, I think we're almost as a collectively as people who cover and follow the team and support the team. I think we're underselling that. Like, that's a big deal. Like to have a guy just yeah. come in like that. And to his credit, it's like, it's it's like having a first baseman try and learn to play left field. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know if anybody really tying with it that, in but yeah, here. Go but, ahead. I mean yeah. that's not that's yeah. not a totally uh, it's not, it's not an untrue comparison there. It, it is yeah. it's drastic, I think, and it's it's just the spot they're in. Really, I don't. It's it's what they have to do. They're yeah. just they're in a really unideal spot uh, with with Rodney going down and and Corey Graham clearly just not being a great option. Kind of makes you wonder or regret uh, you know, them not signing maybe someone else who was out there on the, on the market for a while because there was, there was a good safety market for a while. But well, what's done is done, and, and the Eagles have what they have now, and they're working here, and it's tough. You're going up against, again, mentioned earlier in the show, uh, a quarterback who has played well against this, te- this defense specifically in the past, and these wide receiver duos who are going to give Ooh. the Eagles trouble. Adam Thielen. Stefan Diggs, very good players, guys who can get vertical, yeah. guys who can really win at all three levels. They can work the entire, the short, the quick game, intermediate, long. Like they can do it all. So this is going to be a really tough challenge this week. We saw some good breakdowns of what wrong went, what, ugh, what went wrong with this Eagles defense last week from both 
Benjamin Solak and Bleeding Green Nation and Michael Kiss with the podcast of the Kiss and Solak show. And it's clear that Jim Schwartz has work to do here. You know, they need to figure something. Yeah. They're going to have to adjust. They're going to have to change things up. They can't just go into this this game with the same game plan they had last week and just ex- and line up and expect to win. Like this is going to this is tough. This is a tough game and this is a tough matchup for this team for as bad as their running game has been John like you mentioned I mean who cares like for them if you're the Vikings like okay okay we can't run the ball let's just throw anyway the Eagles can't defend the pass so that is going to be the big challenge this week yeah no and the Vikings come into the game with the fifth most passing yards per game in the league uh, just over 327 yards per game Uh, you mentioned that you know the the Vikings don't run the ball very well 63 yards per uh, per game and uh, the Eagles only giving up 63.8 yards per game which is still the number one rush defense in football so yeah, I mean, Minnesota's going to be out there trying to chuck it up, and obviously the guy they're going to target is the guy most other offenses have been targeting so far this year, and that's Jalen Mills. I know Jalen Mills grades out well uh, in, in, in some in some places, but obviously... What? Well, he does. <laughs> By I mean, Jim Schwartz, he does, for sure. <laughs> I thought I saw, like, uh, PFF had grade him out highly. Last maybe. week, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the Colts game. Yeah. Okay. He, he did play, I think, overall well in the Colts game, but yes. But overall, the teams teams are attacking Jalen Mills. They, they obviously see him as the weak spot in the defense to go after right now. How worried are you about Mills? Is, is he just kind of in a, a slump right now, or have teams figured out something about him that they're that they they're able to to exploit his over aggressiveness or his inability to 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 play deep. I think benching Jalen Mills is what everyone wants to see clearly happen. I've seen it a lot now. I don't think it's this easy fix that people make it out to be. I think everyone's just going, "Oh, you just bench Sidney Jones, or sorry, you bench Jalen Mills and you put Sidney Jones in there, and everything's great." I mean, I don't, I don't think that's realistic. I just saw Sidney Jones have some struggles against the Titans as well. I, do I think he looked better than Jalen Mills? Of course, but I just don't think that's the instant solution there. Uh, I, I think Jalen Mills is a player who has his ups and downs. Uh, I saw him compared to someone recently. Who was that? Uh, it's another Eagles corner of, of Kerry Williams. I saw oh, okay. him, Kerry Williams. I think, you know, Kerry had some good games, believe it or not. But overall, you know, you just there's a lot of bad there, too. Uh, I think there's similar players in some regards, and I don't think he's the ideal long term answer here. But, you know, what we think ultimately doesn't really matter because Jim Swartz really likes Jalen Mills. I've said this a long time now, if you've been listening to this podcast and reading my work on bleedinggreennation.com. So, any again, we saw that this week with basically uh, Jim Schwartz doubling down on his love for Jalen Mills, saying that he was one of the reasons why the Eagles won the Super Bowl last year. So, I don't think we're going to see a change, even if we think we should see a change. So, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I, I, I think you know he there are struggles here, and it's not good enough. And also at the same time. I think that he's getting scapegoated a little bit. I think Ronald yeah. Darby is struggling. I think obviously Corey Graham had a terrible play. And I don't think those guys get as much nearly as hate as Jalen Mills does. So I think does Jalen Mills deserve criticism? Absolutely. Is it overboard? Absolutely. Is anything going to change? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, they should be better at home this week. As we know, play, they play much better at home. Yeah, I think you mentioned that right at the top of the podcast. Uh, the Seagulls defense does do better at Lincoln Financial Field, so uh, that should come into play a little bit. One of the interesting things so far, as far as Eagles pressure is concerned, with Derek Barnett out, the Eagles are obviously going to be hoping to get a little bit more from, from Graham, who still has no sacks on the season here, four games in. What's going on there with the with the sack drought for Graham? Is it just bad luck, or is there something else going on? I think it's a little bit bad luck, because when you saw that play last week where uh, he basically caused the sack on Marcus Mariota late in the game. Halodi mm-hmm. Nada got credited with it officially because he hit Mariota in the helmet, which really should have been a penalty. And speaking of penalties uncalled, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> the one on Carson Wentz. I mean, to it's me, crazy. to me, like I just don't care almost because like the Eagles didn't deserve to win anyway. So like it doesn't change yeah. how I feel ultimately. Like I, it's, yes, it should have been a penalty, hundred percent. He got he got he almost got face mask. He just got hit in the helmet really hard as Harold Landry. Uh, strip sacked him. It should have been a penalty. It shouldn't have been a strip sack, and that would have been that would, could have changed the game. But ultimately, oh, yeah. again, like don't blame the you know no blaming the refs after that kind of game. Like the Eagles yeah. deserve to lose. They lost the game, uh, so that's unfortunate. But going back to Brandon Graham, I think he's coming on here. I think you look. I was looking at his pressure rate, uh, at, at, you know, which 
pro football focus determines. And he's still been good in that regard there. Uh, you're seeing the pressures there. We're just not seeing the sacks. I think we'll start to see those here. Uh, look, there's no motivation issue. Brandon Graham is heading into a contract oh, yeah. year. He wants to get paid. So I am sure he is getting very frustrated that he is not picking up the sacks too. I think we'll see that change and very much possibly this week against the Vikings because, John, that Minnesota offensive line is not good. It is not a good offensive line. And if Cousins gets the ball out quick and he's getting the ball to those receivers, that's going to be a problem. It also forces the Vikings into a quick passing game, uh, you know, and as opposed to being able to just take these deep shots all day long. But I do think Brandon Graham will pick up here. I do think we'll, we could st- start seeing more pressure from him as soon as this week. And boy, they're going to need to get pressure this week because if they're not getting it, I mean, there's, they don't stand a chance. Like they, they need, yeah. it is, it's always more, it's always imperative, but more than ever, I feel like this week, it is so important that they get to Cousins. They make him, they force him into some bad throws. He'll make those at times. Obviously, he just has really bad brain farts. Uh, he turns the ball over a decent amount as well. Uh, Thirty. He's one of the only quarterbacks with thirty plus interceptions and and thirty plus fumble losses in the past couple of years here. So. I do think it is important, and I think it's imperative, and I do think we will see Cousins turn the ball over, and that will ultimately play a big role in why the Eagles, I think, will win this game, and I, and I think the defensive line will have a big part in that. Yeah, and one last note on this. Uh, Ruben Frank tweeted out a couple of interesting stats about the Eagles' third down uh, performance defensively at home and on the road. Uh, at home, they do they do a good job. They've done a good job on third down, 10 for 24 Opposing teams are for 84 yards, no touchdowns, one interceptions, a 34 passer rating on the. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a uh, and on the road, uh, teams are have converted 15 out of 20 uh, passing the ball for 167 yards, one touchdown, 116 passer rating, and the Eagles have faced 41 third down passes and have just two third down sacks this year. That's the, that's the down when you should be pinning your ears back and getting to the quarterback and. Uh, the Eagles have not been have not been getting to the quarterback on third down, and that's been part of the problem. That's allowed allowed teams to extend drives, and so uh, look for the Eagles' third down performance on defense at home, which has been good so far in the first two home games of the season. Uh, hopefully, that will continue here in game number three against Minnesota. Now, let's move over to the offense, and I thought uh, offensive coordinator Mike Groh had some interesting words to say during his news conference. Uh, he was pretty defensive, I thought, and some of the questions that were coming at him about why the team didn't do better when at the end of regulation and in overtime they weren't able to to punch the ball into the end zone for touchdowns instead having to settle for field goals. Kind of said, you know, well, we, we took the lead, didn't we? You know, almost seemed like kind of throwing it on the defense a little bit there as far as the defense's performance in overtime. But honestly, you know, I, I've been wondering, we talked a little bit about it when Frank Wright came to town as the Colts head coach whether or not the Eagles offense was missing him at all. I think the offense has done pretty well for for the most part this season, with the exception of putting points on the board. And a lot of that has been because, unlike last year, they haven't been as good in the red zone. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Frank Reich was pretty integral in how the team performed in the red zone because wasn't he the play caller for a lot of the red zone plays? Wasn't that part of part of his job or quality control within the red zone? Am I am I misremembering that? I think it was Flip who was doing red zone. Was it Flip? Okay. And uh, I think it was... Uh, Flip comes to town here, yeah. It was uh, Gro who was third down. I might have those backwards. I can't remember which one. I was trying to look that up today, and I couldn't find exactly where I had that. So uh, either way, very, you know, I, I think it's fair. And the Daily Norseman kind of asked me this question in the, the question exchange that we did, you know, are the Eagles missing Frank Reich and John Filippo? I think it's fair to say they are. I mean, those guys are really good coaches, so why wouldn't they be? They proved that last year. At the same time, this offense was always poised for regression. They were not going to be as good as they were last year. It's just not how it works. Like They were historically good on third and long last year. Like That was always going to jump back, even if they kept those guys. There was going to be some level of regression. And they're not terrible on third down right now. Uh, or the red zone, sorry. They're they're like tied for 16th in efficiency and in red zone conversion rate as opposed to they were second last year. Like that's not, you know, it's a drop off, but they're going to, like yeah. I said, they're going to drop off to some extent anyway. So it's not terrible. And, and the, two of those games were played with their backup quarterback. Carson Wentz right. was missing uh, a number of those games and snaps were being played with the Eagles missing Alshon Jeffrey and, and Mike Wallace 
two of their and three Ajayi. top right receivers and and Ajayi and Sproles and now <laughs> like they've been so there's a lot of you know th- things that have gone into that. It's not like this has been a full yeah. force offense. And I think as you're getting Wentz back and boy did he look great to me yeah. against the Titans. Wow. Uh, PFF came out and said it was his. I think it was his second. His was either his best or or second. I think it was second best. Second yeah, best graded game. Best. And to me, that doesn't seem off base. I felt like he legitimately had that was legit. Just in terms of not even statistically, just the way you were watching him, just being totally command accurate. Just the throws he was making. Like I felt so good about that game. And that's why still why I feel good about this team overall because. Quarterback matters most, and Carson Wentz looked great. So, to me, the ceiling for this team is it's in the the direction and the arrow. It's a still positive just because of that alone. So that's that's good to know coming into this game, and they're going to need a big game out of Carson here uh, heading into this one, especially if there are going to be some defensive struggles, which would not be crazy. Although I think the defense will play better at home. I think we will see some good offense. Uh, going back to your specific. Mentioned there on Mike Rose comments. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weak, man. Like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and and to his credit, he kind of like backed off that a little bit. I think he kind of corrected himself. He might have caught what he said, but not a good look. And it's not surprising to me. Mike Grow has not been very media savvy coming in here. There was some he got he's gotten better a little bit since earlier in the off season when he had to do it for you know for the first time here in this market. And people would ask him questions about like Jason Peters and what he means to this team. And he gave like a really like weak answer. He was like, well, he was on the bus in the Super Bowl and he was like the DJ. It's like, really? That's all like, that's it. Like that's your one. (laughs) This guy is a legend here. And like, that's all you can say about him. So, uh, and I had asked him, I remember at one point earlier in training camp about, you know, okay, because he, he had mentioned some of these receivers are really standing out to him. And I was like, oh yeah, who were, who were some of those guys? And he was like, well, everyone. Uh, okay, great. So every player is just looking <laughs> like you got to play the game a little bit here, Micro, yeah, and, and he's on. not. And I just don't think he's super media savvy. So I think that kind of goes into that. I just don't think he's like he doesn't he ha- he doesn't have the the media part mastered quite yet. Uh, I one note about Alshon. Uh, you notice you noted he he had a big game. Uh, he uh, caught 105 yards worth of passes for a touchdown. That was his first 100 yard receiving game in the regular season since September of. 2017, a span of 28 games between 100-yard receiving games for Alshon Jeffrey. I had to look that up twice in order to make sure I was reading that correctly because it just seems inconceivable that a a receiver as good as Alshon had gone that long without a a 100-yard game. But uh, there it is. Um, The biggest concern that I think nobody is talking about right now with the Eagles, and uh, this will be our last thing before we move on to our NFC East picks here, is the play of the Eagles offensive line. They have struggled these last few weeks. And we noted last week on the preview show leading into the Titans game that the Titans like to do a lot of stunts. They like to do a lot of confusion pre-snap uh, that they, you know, they did not like for, they don't like for teams to, to know what's coming. You know, they like to change things up at the last minute. And the Eagles offensive line had a lot of trouble with stunts and a lot of trouble. You mentioned Wendell Smallwood helping to pick up blitzes and, uh, Carson Wentz got hit a lot in the game against Tennessee. Jason Peters and Lane Johnson had two of the, their worst games in an Eagles uniform both last week, and it was a little bit disturbing to see. And, you know, I think Lane Johnson's going to be good, but you, I'm a little bit concerned about Jason Peters given how, how much he's helped you know, how old he is, first of all, and his ability to, to stay healthy. And you wonder if, if father time is catching up at some point. But what do you make of the struggles of the offensive line as a whole? How much should we be worried about this? I will say that when we talk about offensive line struggles, it should be specifically noted, and, and you have here, that it's it's pass protection because they're still blocking yes. the hell out of the ball when it comes to run blocking. Yes. Like, that is looking good. So that's good. to And they should run a little bit more. 50 yes. pass attempts for Wentz last week was too much. I agree. I think there are times where – and just you saw in overtime. like They were just marching down the field, like run play. Uh, yeah. W- first down like automatic it was it was easy so uh that they are doing well and i want to give them credit for that and i want to give them credit in the context of the league too i think for even as much as you know they haven't played well in these past two games especially it feels like carson Wentz being sacked six times and hits 18 times which is way too much mm, i think way too much when you look at the if we're just going by the first quarter of the season They've been not bad overall, especially in the context of the league. I don't think this is one of the worst offensive lines by any means. 
Um, no, they, they need to do a better job. And and as you mentioned, pass protection isn't just about the linemen. It's about uh, Carson Wentz also not holding on to the ball as much. He deserves some of the blame for some of these mm-hmm. hits. Not all of them, but some of these that like he contributes to that is my point. So does Wendell Smallwood being a disaster in pass protection. Right. So there's there's blame to go around here more than just the offensive line. I think. Uh, Jason Peters, you know, he is getting older. He's 36. Now he's battling with this quad injury that Doug Peterson admitted kind of flares up on him and probably contributes to why we saw him get thrown around like a rag doll, which is not yeah. very good and not very uh, what you would expect from Jason Peters. And I think with Lane Johnson, now this is it's early, but I just, man, I almost get the vibe that maybe this is his Cole Hamels. 2009 season in that ah, interesting you know come. you win you win the world you win it all you win the championship and you kind of you just slip a little bit the next year you're you're, you're focused on trashing the patriots you know you're, you're just and i don't want to say like that lane johnson doesn't work hard because i don't feel he, he, he does work really hard but just when you look at how his play has slipped from last year there's clearly a difference and I, mean, I don't know why exactly that is yet. And there's still a lot of time for him to turn that around. So I'm not going to push the panic button on that. But it is something that's been on my mind. I don't think he's been the same Lane Johnson that we saw last year. And, you know, Michael Kist had a great conversation with Trey Thomas, our good friend Trey Thomas, who you've heard here before on BGN Radio. And he, Trey is very hopeful about this offensive line. He thinks, you know, a lot of the, what's going wrong here is technique and communication and that stuff that can be cleaned up and cleared up. And the fact that they had this kind of almost wake up call loss to the Titans like that. He hopes that that kind of fixes everything and the guys get in there and they really dedicate themselves back to this and push themselves harder. And we'll see. I think that'll be a good test this week uh, with Everson Griffin not playing. And also to Sean Bauer, who was a, a backup defensive end for Minnesota. He was limited on Wednesday and downgraded to not practicing on Thursday. So that kind of – he's not a major player for them, but he played 33% of the snaps in week three and then 25 in week four. So the point being they're kind of getting a little bit thin there at defensive end. So I don't think this defensive line – is the most the biggest challenge they'll have, but involved Joseph is a big man in there. Sheldon Richardson is a really good player, a really good pickup for them in free agency this year. So they're gonna it'll they'll be tested for sure yet again. It's and hopefully we do see a, a better protection here because if Carson Wentz can look as good as he did last week, I mean, and and it, that's with an offensive line not playing well, then that's with Nelson Aguilar dropping four passes and having some other drops as oh, well. We didn't even talk about I mean, that. Yeah. How how much better can Carson Wentz be when those things are going well for him? I, I'm I'm excited to yeah. see. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. There was a lot from that game to to that you could look at and and feel good about. Obviously, and it got overshadowed by how everything ended. And um, we're going to get into our our Eagles Vikings picks here uh, in just a second. But first, let's break down the three NFC East games. Uh, Brandon and I will each give our picks. I haven't calculated. I didn't calculate the record for this week, man. I, I think we're both kind of just middling along. Here. <laughs> I'm doing so terrible we'll just... on my picks against the spread for bleedinggreennation.com that I do each week. But I'm doing really good in straight up. I am leading the BGN writers in the straight up picks. So take it. Oh, all right. Good. All right. Well, then um, listen to Brandon and not to me when we do these picks here, gang. We'll start off with uh, the New York Giants at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. The Giants come in at one and three. The Panthers are two and uh, two and one on the two season. And one. No, they're three and one. On, two, two yeah, and they one. did okay, a bye in week right. four. Yes, that's right. That's right. OK. Um, and the uh, Panthers are seven point favorites at home. BLG, what do you think about this one? Giants suck, man. <laughs> They're not good. It's weird to me how Giants fans just thought the season was saved because they beat the Texans in Houston. They're like, oh, yeah, this might be good. And then all of a sudden they're picking the team that beat the Saints. And like, what are you doing, Giants fans? And all of a sudden they realize, nope, team's still not good. Eli Manning, not a good quarterback anymore, especially. And maybe never was, but not the point. Uh, Giants, not good right now. They stink. Carolina coming off the spy. They're well-rested. I just don't see how the Giants win here. I think the the Panthers should win this game and with relative ease. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's a whole lot here to break down. Coming off the bye, Carolina well-rested at home against a, a much inferior opponent in the Giants. Uh, yeah, I think this is I think this is an easy Carolina win by easily by more than a touchdown, uh, 100%. Sunday night football. 
Dallas at Houston, Battle of Texas. Oh, great. Uh, Dallas is 2-2 uh, two and two on the season, tied with the Eagles at 2-2. Two and two. The Texans, a struggling Houston team at 1-3. and three. Houston is favored by three points at home against Dallas. And I'm not, I'm not going to pick Houston here just because I picked them to win the AFC South. I do think that they have talent on that team. I think Deshaun Watson. I know he's gotten off to a slow start, and and but they've got some. They've got playmakers on that team. I, I think at at home uh, against an inconsistent Cowboys team, who I think is just going to kind of play this way all year. Seven and nine, eight and eight. Maybe it's even a six and ten season for Dallas if if things start to really go awry. But um, Houston at home here. I think they have more talent than Dallas. I think. I think Houston wants to stay in the AFC playoff picture and falling to one and four would almost certainly eliminate that possibility. So I'm going to take Houston um, and the three and laying the three points uh, to the uh, Dallas Cowboys here. What about I'm you? almost surprised the Texans are favored here. Like, they, they have not looked good at all. They barely squeaked by the Colts and what overtime to get a win, like a yeah. one point win. Like, man, uh, it is surprising to me. And not that. Cowboys have looked great either, but I just don't think they've looked as bad as Houston has. I mean, again, Houston lost to the Giants at home. So I I think this Dallas team is better than that Giants team. And that's not how it works like that. I know exactly. You don't, it's not the transitive property here, but I just think that the Cowboys are not bad enough where they'll lose to Houston. Unfortunately, I'd love to be wrong, of course, as always, but if they're getting the points, I mean, I'm, I would take them, uh, I would take them as three point favorites. So if they're getting points to me, it's kind of a, a no brainer here. So I'll take them outright. I'll take them to win outright in this game. So you just love the Cowboys. That's your problem. You just love uh, Dak Prescott. Uh, you're the big Dak guy. I'm the Kirk coupons guy. You're the Dak guy. Uh, That's how it goes. You slander. Know? <laughs> and then for Monday Night Football, Washington at New Orleans. Washington had the bye last week. They're two and one. New Orleans comes in at three and one. That phenomenal New Orleans offense, but also a suspect defense going up against a Washington team that has played pretty well so far this season. A seven point favorite's pretty a pretty big line, BLG. What do you think about this one? Hmm. I don't know what to make of Washington just yet because, you know, we yeah. saw them win week one. Pretty, pretty, look pretty great out in Arizona. Although the Cardinals are terrible, especially with Sam Bradford, who was now benched. Um, then they, they come out and they somehow lose to the Colts at home. How? I don't, still don't know how that happened. And then they beat up on the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, weird team. For sure, I don't know exactly what to make out of them. They potentially could be the, the Eagles. I mean, they could potentially be the NFC's favorite if you know they win this week and the Eagles lose. They will be looking like you know the team to beat potentially, but I don't think that's the case because the Saints, for as much as they struggle a little bit early on in the season, there I think they're hitting their groove. I think. Uh, they will win at home. I don't think Washington's going to go in there and get the win in New Orleans. I think I like the Saints here at home and minus seven. Okay, wow. I see. I think this is going to be a closer game. I like New Orleans to win this game, but I think Washington, with Alex Smith, I just think he has a knack for keeping games close. I think the defense will do a better job. I mean, Alvin Kamara, you're only going to slow down Alvin Kamara so much and you know, the, the Saints passing game. Drew Brees is having a, a renaissance season throwing the ball right now. but So they can put, they can put up the points in a hurry. But D, Washington's defense is pretty good. It is in New Orleans, so you've got the fast track um, on the turf. But uh, I will take Washington to uh, – to, to, um, to cover. I think to, to cover, yeah. I, I just – I think New Orleans wins, but I think it's closer than a touchdown game here. So that's uh, – you know, I don't like picking NFC East teams to do anything good, but uh, I do think Washington will fall to two and two after New Orleans. Uh, I think it's going to be a relatively high scoring game again. I think, you know, something like 30 to 27 or something like that. So um, anyway, let's move on to our Eagles Vikings pick here. BLG. I don't know what it is about this Eagles team this year. Maybe it's all the injuries. Maybe it's because we had Nick Foles starting the season. Maybe it's because I've just never been a fan of a team coming off a Super Bowl victory, but I don't know. I have not had a feeling, a good, strong feeling one way or the other, really about any of these games this year. That's why I'm 0-4 picking Eagles Yikes. games this year. So 
yeah. So um, why don't you start off with uh, with your pick for for Eagles Vikings here on Sunday afternoon? Before I get into my pick, I want to give some reason for optimism about these two and two Eagles. Right. You look at the history of the Eagles starting out two and two, and now just because this happened in the past, obviously doesn't mean it's guaranteed to repeat. But just to give you the perspective of how the Eagles have done after starting out two and two in the past, and the, I wrote about this on BleedingGreenNation.com, so if you've already seen it, I thank you. If you haven't, you can listen to me tell you that the Eagles have averaged 9.8 wins in their last eight seasons since starting out 2-2. Two and two. They failed to make That's the playoffs right. once out of those eight times, and they made it one game from the Super Bowl three of those times. So I would say that's pretty good. They've been pretty okay yeah. starting out two and two. It's not a death knell for this team by any means. So if you're looking for some reason to be optimistic, I think you look back at that and say, huh, wow, that's a lot better than I expected it would have been to be two and two. They're not in a total panic mode. With that said, they need to really win this week. This is an important mm-hmm. game. John, you're talking about not having a good feel for this team. I think that's why I want to win so much this week. Or I just I can't wait for this game, really, because it will tell us what this team is after going into Tennessee, being up 17 to three and losing the way they did. I think it will tell us a lot about this team. If they come out this week and they have a a good win, a good convincing, it doesn't even have to be a blowout, but just like a good solid, like, wow, the Eagles played like the better team. They deserve to win that game. I think that kind of sets the table for the rest of the season at that point. So hoping to see that. Will I see that? Yes, the Eagles are going to win this game. I feel good about it. I just think their pass rush is going to give the Vikings trouble. I think this Vikings team really isn't all that great. Again, they should be one and three right now. I know they had a buy, well, kind of a mini buy with playing on Thursday night football, but they're coming into the confines of Lincoln Financial Field where the Eagles are 17 and two in meaningful games since the beginning of 2016. How could I pick against the Eagles at home when they are that good at home? So I think it's going to be a game where the Vikings don't score as much as you think they will. They're only going to score seven. And the Eagles, offensively, I think they're going to put up a lot of points. So I'm going to say 38 to seven. No, okay, <laughs> I knew I'm it. just kidding. Um, I had to do it, though. I'll do it. Uh, no, do I it. can't do it. It's, it's not. I can't All do right. it. But I think... I will take the Eagles to win in this game, 24 to 20. All right. Oh, close game. Good. All right. Um, yeah. And I think I can't, I can't pick against the Eagles at home right now either. As, as much of a uncertain feeling as I have about this football team right now, and this is a revenge game for the Vikings coming back in here. I, I think the Eagles do just play so much better at home. The defense especially plays so much better at home. And the off, this offense is due for a breakout game, I really feel like. this is uh, They're going up against a defense that has struggled. They should have a pretty good roadmap on how to combat this Vikings defense based off of what they did last year. And defensively, the Vikings are going to change things for sure. Having having John DeFilippo on that offensive coaching staff now, they get a little bit of an he has a little bit of an insight into what the Eagles do defensively. But I, I certainly think that the Eagles defense will probably have some answers for what the Vikings want to do. Uh, the, the Vikings are going to largely be a one dimensional offense passing the football. That hasn't been a big problem for opposing offenses against the Eagles so far this year. But those were games on the road. At home, uh, the Eagles have done pretty well across the board, and so I think Carson Wentz has a big game. I think this is the game the Eagles' offense breaks out. I'll say thirty to ten. Wow, Eagles uh, I like comfortably it. over the Vikings here, uh, just because I, you know, the defense plays well at home, and I do feel like this offense is due for a breakout, and I think this is going to be that game. I'd love to see it, John. Sitting at what? So the Eagles will be three and two. We'll see how the rest of the East obviously shakes out, but. Mm-hmm. It's open, man. It's open. It's That's there. the funny thing. Like people, you know, the Eagles lose to the Titans last week, and I get some people saying, "Oh, this team's going to be seven and nine. And it's like, do you guys realize they're still playing in the NFC East? That's not very great. And yeah, maybe the Eagles aren't super great either, but like they're going to be alive in this division, I think, yeah. for a while. So it would be great yeah. to get up to three and two. It would be great to send the Vikings to one, three and one, and and not officially end their season but effectively you know put them in a really really bad spot there uh, got, that'd be great i gotta say and my my final thought here is for for 
people when they look at the, I'm, I'm going to harp on this every week because, you know, when people look at those schedules at the beginning of the year, when they first come out, they see Titans and Buccaneers and they, they circle two victories and they see the Vikings and they go, well, if the Eagles are going to lose a game, that could be one of them right there. The Vikings look really tough. If the Eagles manage to, to beat the Vikings here, they will have lost to the Buccaneers and the Titans and beaten the Vikings and the Vikings will have fallen to one, three and one and their season could for all intents and purposes, pretty much be over. You could be looking at a losing team. It's just you never know what you're going to get week to week in the NFL, year to year. Teams that look good on paper, they you look at them on the schedule and you think, oh man, that could be a that could be a really brutal one. They turn out to be not so brutal, but we'll see what happens this Sunday afternoon uh, at Lincoln Financial Field, 4:25 start time, I believe. Right, Brandon? Yes, the uh, I believe so, like a national game kind of deal. Yeah, I think afternoon. it's the Fox yeah. national game in the afternoon. So yeah. and a rematch of the NFC Championship game, and we are here for it, gang. And that'll do it for this edition of BGN Radio. For Brandon Lee Gowton, I'm John Stolness. Everybody, enjoy the game. That doesn't make sense. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.